You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I know what you're thinking. I got to tune into the Packernet Podcast to find out what he thinks about Miles Garrett, right? Let me tell you what I think about Miles Garrett. If you post one more stupid thing... About Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett, I'm going to hit you in the face with a helmet. I don't care anymore. This is so beyond boring. And what is everybody fighting about? I mean, I, I know what it actually is. There's political undertones, so we got to get in there and have our little, like, we're going to have our political fight, but pretend it's not political. We're going to cover it up with people. You guys are pathetic. Stop it. Miles Garrett hit somebody in the head with a helmet. He's suspended. Good. Other opinions. All right. Do I feel bad for Mason Rudolph? Not really. I I can somewhat sympathize with the idea that if you're going to be pulling on a guy and jawing with a guy and running up on a guy and you're a quarterback, you're probably not going to win the fight. Here's the problem, though. How many times have we seen Aaron Rodgers get chippy or especially Brett Favre get chippy? How many times did Warren Sapp decide to spare Brett Favre's life? numerous times he could have killed that man and didn't. The problem is nobody's willing to to put the shoe on the other foot. If Aaron Rodgers starts getting chippy with somebody else and he rips Aaron Rodgers' helmet off and hits him with it, every Packer fan suddenly has a different opinion. But you don't care about Mason Rudolph, so we're willing to just start arguing about this. So yeah, I get it, man. You know... I can, on, on some very basic level, understand if you run up on somebody and you get punched in the mouth, I kind of don't feel bad for you. If you run up on a guy with a helmet and he, get hit, he hits you with it, I mean, but two things can be true at once. You need to cool it, Mason, right? You had a bad day, you played like garbage, your team's getting smacked around, but you picked a fight with Miles Garrett. That's kind of dumb. Granted, there is a reasonable expectation he won't hit you with a helmet. I think that's fair. But you are taking a slight risk there. And then as far as my final comment on the, um, what is it, S- suspend Rudolph, you guys need to stop it. You guys are being dumb. What did he do to warrant a sus- He started a fight. So, so what? Guys start fights every day. How is that suspendable? If you walk up to somebody in, in football and say, what, what are you going to do, punk? And the other, he turns around and punches you. Should they both be suspended? No. You don't get suspended for starting fights. That's not how that works. You don't get suspended for for saying words. You don't get suspended for pulling on a helmet. That's not suspendable. When it becomes suspendable is when you rip a guy's helmet off and hit him with it. Or in the case of, what's his name, punching and kicking guys. Which I would kind of rather he wasn't suspended, but I can understand the argument that, look, we got to enforce rules, and the rules are you can't be punching and kicking people. However, final thought on this, 
if anybody ever rips off Aaron Rodgers' helmet and hits him with it, I expect the entire offensive line and several other people to get three-game suspensions by stomping that person into the dust. Into dust, not the dust. The dirt or dust, either or, probably not both, though, because it just doesn't make sense. There's not a lot of dust around on a football field to stomp somebody into. I don't know if you knew that. It's a fact. There might be a little, probably not, though. So that's it. Miles Garrett is dumb. He deserves to be suspended. Mason Rudolph is dumb. He doesn't deserve to be suspended. Maybe deserve to get hit. Probably not with a helmet, though. Pouncey does deserve to get suspended. He also deserves a raise, a massive round of applause. And by the way, one more opinion. I don't think that Mason Rudolph is liked very much by his team because I genuinely believe that if Aaron Rodgers ever had somebody hit him in the head with a helmet when he doesn't have a helmet on, there's going to be... I mean, Matt LaFleur is going to have a three-game suspension because everybody's going to be stomping that man. The one guy got into a fight. Everyone else is just standing around like, whoa, guys, come on now. Let's cool. You know, you had another guy fall on him and be like, dude, cool it, cool it. It was almost like he was trying to help Miles Garrett be like, dude, you're going to get in trouble. You better relax. Everyone else is standing. And then you had a guy level your quarter. After he gets up after getting hit in the helmet, he stands up and he's like, whoa, what's going on here? Somebody levels him. And then you got other Steelers being like, come on, man, what are you doing that for? There should have been an entire team throwing punches. That's just standard protocol. I don't think Mason Rudolph is very well liked by that organization. I think if somebody smacked Ben Roethlisberger in the head with his own helmet, you would have had about 19 suspensions. That, that has no impact on the fact that Mason should be getting hit in the head. I'm just throwing out an observation. It is weird that only one guy started punching. I mean, I, I don't know if you recall, there have been some times when people have gotten chippy with Rodgers and there were a lot more aggression. When Aaron Rodgers got pushed two seconds after he crossed the goal line, you had Randall Cobb trying to kill a guy because of a very slightly late hit. I mean, we're talking, what, about a second and a half, two seconds? Just saying it's weird. And, and look, I, I don't think anything that I've said is even questionable. Do not defend Miles Garrett. He's a dummy. He deserves his suspension. Stop defending him. Oh, he's... Somebody started <laughs> Miles Garrett's a big boy. He's past that age to where you are held accountable for your actions because he's not a two-year-old. When you grow up, your actions suddenly have consequences. For example, my son is five. If my daughter is annoying him and he smacks her in the face, I don't yell at my daughter. And what I will tell my son is there was a point at which I would have got your sister in trouble. The moment you decided, rather than telling dad, I'm going to smack her right in the face, and I'm not using an actual example, I'm just telling you, that is when she was suddenly absolved, and you are about to get in a lot of trouble. Things switched from she's in trouble to I'm not worried about her, you're in trouble. Why? Because you can't go around smacking people with helmets. Miles Garrett's a victim. You should get smacked in the head with a helmet. Maybe you have been one too many times. I don't know how you come to that conclusion that Miles Garrett is a victim. So anyways, that's all I got to say. I think the NFL generally did the right thing. Really nothing to fight about. But it's going to continue because as you all understand, and if you didn't understand this, now you do, there are political undertones. That's why it's getting so loud and so rowdy. Because it's spilled over. It's the same reason whenever Colin Kaepernick comes up, it's such a massive fight. It's because it has nothing to do with football. Football fights don't last this long. They fizzle out. Yeah, y'all aren't slick. I know what you're doing. Take it outside. Nobody cares. Go away. 
Anyways, uh, sorry about yesterday. It's one of those moments where you kind of wake up and you feel refreshed and it's like, oh man, I'm late. But then you kind of settle into the fact that you're late and don't really hurry because what does it matter? If I'm late, I'm late, you know, so you can kind of take a nice luxurious shower. Then you start settling in a little too much. Like, I mean, I could turn this into a half day if I wanted to, but you know, kind of picked up the pace at some point and went to work. But I do apologize. Kind of frustrating. I had some big goals for this month, and I think missing a day is going to mess that up, but whatever. As per usual, again, the, the three biggest things I'm trying to emphasize, uh, Instagram, we got some giveaways, so go follow on Instagram. I feel like everybody that's interested has already done it because just there's nobody else. So, look, if you don't want to sign Jersey, that's fine. I'll tell Jacob he can just keep his stuff, man. I mean, it's some cool stuff. I'm sure he wouldn't mind keeping all this autographed uh, apparel. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who, who actually cares about an ice bowl Green Bay Packer that signed a jersey and it comes with a certificate of office. I mean, I understand why you couldn't be bothered to follow me on Instagram. I get it. It's fine. Sorry. I'm, the, the, the frustration from the Miles Garrett thing is carrying over into the giveaways. I, I apologize. If you have time and any interest, there, there are some free things that I will give you if you will follow on Instagram. What else? Um, GoFundMe. We have a Packers fans against cancer campaign going on from now until Christmas. We have raised a very um, large amount of money. I want to keep that momentum going. If you have any any wiggle room in your budget, anything that you were planning on donating to the show, Patreon, whatever, and again, if you would like to pause that or anything, please feel free uh, because I would like to focus on this and be able to give to a very worthy cause. There is a link in the description if you'd like to check it out. It would be greatly appreciated. And then thirdly, I finally got the t-shirts up. I do not have all the designs that I promised you, and I will be planning on getting those. However, I'd like to break even on the shirts that I designed this batch. So maybe it was a bad strategy by doing it the way I did it, but whatever. But once I break even on the money that I spent to design these, I'll work on designing some other ones. I want to try to get you guys the shirts that you want. Um, I do have some Packernet podcast shirts. I decided rather than trying to just promote my show by putting my logo all over all the other stuff, I would just try to make cool t-shirts that you would like to wear and give you those. But if you want to wear specifically Packernet Podcast and rep the show and support the show, those are now available. And um, I'm not exactly sure how yet, but my wife had a pretty good idea of coming up with some ways to give away coupon codes because I can do that, which would be kind of cool. So uh, keep an eye out for that, I guess. I think that's it. I think we're all caught up. There's a link to the store in the description, so uh, head on over there. I've got like 10 different designs. And by the way, there are two different kinds of Packernet Podcast shirts. One just says Packernet Podcast. One says You Don't Know My Truth. And I'm planning on getting another one that's going to say Trigger Warning on it, which I feel at times is appropriate. I think that's it, though. I think we're all caught up. Why don't we take our first break, start talking about some stuff, and we'll be right back. So we're in the throes of the bye week. It hasn't even been a full week, and I feel like I can't even handle this. I feel like I'm in the off-season. But that doesn't mean we can't enjoy ourselves. For example, if I felt like it, we got Badgers hockey today. Got Terry Clark, the Yvette brothers. I don't know what any of these things are. Mr. Wives. I mean, that sounds great. I don't know. I mean, I'll probably just go do that right now. Mr. What? What? Anyways. Point is, I'm seeing, I'm seeing all this on Vivid Seats. Probably, probably just do hockey, actually, the more I think about it. Because just because there isn't a Packer game doesn't mean you can't have some fun. At the very least, I expect you to open up your app and see if Mr. Wives is playing in your area. So do yourself a favor, pull out the app. If you haven't downloaded it, go download it. When you do, you're automatically going to be enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program where you can earn credit back. 
Find something fun to do. Every purchase is going to be backed by their 100% buyer guarantee. And whenever it becomes time that you're ready to pull the trigger and buy something, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. And also, just because the Packers aren't playing doesn't mean everybody else isn't playing or everybody else without a bye week. Meaning, if you're into that kind of stuff, you can head over to mybookie.ag and find some fun over there. Of course, the Minnesota Vikings are favored to win the game, and I wouldn't expect anyone to bet on the Denver Broncos. However, they got the Vikings by 10. That's something to think about. Not saying it's a good bet. I'm just saying that's a big number, and it's something to think about. Chicago Bears are plus 6.5 with the over-under set at 40. If I'm going to look at anything, that's the one that looks kind of stands out the most. Granted, in order to hit the over, the Rams need to come up with about 38 points. <laughs> So, might be dead on. I don't know. But there's plenty of action to go around. It's a lot of big number games. And, and generally, when you got some big numbers, some of these aren't going to pan out. You got Vikings, Broncos. You got uh, 49ers, Cardinals. That's 10 points. That's also in division. Mm, I don't know. You got Oakland and Cincinnati. That's 11.5 for Oakland. That's also pretty steep. But sometimes you also just got a hunch about a pick. You might look at Panthers, Falcons, and just think the Falcons got some mojo. And you see Panthers minus four, and you think that's easy because Falcons are going to take it. Or Jets, Redskins, actually. They got the Je- the Redskins as the favorites. Eh. Anyways, I'm rambling now because I'm getting interested in these things. But you get what I'm saying, right? There's fun to be had. If that's not your thing, again, we got season long with uh, Super Bowl. You got divisional championship. On Sunday, you're going to have the prop bets. You got in-game betting. You got whatever it is you want to do. Just remember, if you join right now, my bookie's going to match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000, which means if you deposit two grand, you get $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of my bookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. So first of all, I did get a question regarding um, sort of the red zone statistics. Justin reached out and said that he had heard that... Um, The Packers are top five on offense, top 10 on defense. I don't know if I can pull up ranking, but we can look at the specific, in other words, instead of overall ranking, kind of look at specific statistics within the red zone and kind of see where they stack up against other people or whatever. So let's take a look at what we can find. First of all, number of passes to the end zone. These are end zone throws. Aaron Rodgers is actually second in end zone throws. He's tied with uh, Jameis Winston. He is behind Russell Wilson. He has 31. Russell Wilson has 39. Now, the interesting thing isn't so much the total number, but the end zone throw percentage. Aaron Rodgers is actually 16th at uh, 2.3%, which means he's throwing the ball to the end zone a lot, but there's not converting a lot in the end zone. Now, we've seen that, right? We're, We're very accustomed to seeing the Packers throw when we get down in there and converting those into touchdowns, and they're not actually having that much success and they haven't in quite a while that's where the success of the run game has helped out quite a bit and a big part of that may have to do with the receivers that we have I know Devontae is pretty solid but he was out for some time and I also don't necessarily think he's on the same level as what we used to have with Jordy Nelson Randall Cobb and those guys in the scramble drills and all that stuff in the end zone in fact I don't know if you've noticed this but it seems like every time we get down into the red zone Devontae comes out now if we stay in there long enough he'll come back out and then Aaron immediately throws a pass to him in the end zone. But it just seems weird. Every single time we get down there, he gets yanked. Right now, the guy with the most amount of targets in the red zone is Jimmy Graham, who is ranked 29th in the NFL. 
He currently has 14 targets when we get down in there. Devontae Adams is ranked 37th again. He was injured for some time, but 13 targets. So take away the injury, he's our most targeted guy, and then um, would be Jimmy Graham. But either way, neither of them are targeted all that much. After that, you got Aaron Jones uh, and Geronimo targeted nine times. After that, you got Marquez, eight. You got Alan Lazard, eight, which is really impressive if you think about it because Alan Lazard is a new revelation. For him to just start and already have eight targets in the red zone, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I generally am very cautious about propping people up, but he is definitely exceeding expectations. And usually when people get out of hand, it's because he had one good day. Alan Lazard has been relatively consistent. Now, he's not an elite wide receiver, but relatively consistent in terms of I don't know, playing like a number two wide receiver, having multiple positive attributes. And I don't just mean the fact that he's a monster, but you see him between the 20s. You see him converting third downs. You see him in the red zone. You see him making tight, contested catches. He's kind of doing all the different things, whereas you got Marquez who does like a thing. You got Jimmy who does a thing. Certain people kind of have their thing. I can't really pinpoint Alan Lazard's thing, and that's kind of a, a, a credit to him. But then you got Jamal with seven, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of actual receptions, though, and not just targets, Aaron Jones actually has the most with seven. He's tied for 36th. Um, he's tied actually with Devontae. But I think that kind of says a lot. When we get down there, targeting Aaron Jones happens a lot, and he's going to catch a lot of them because they're shorter passes, right? He's seven of nine. Devontae is seven of 13. That's about 50%. The reason being, though, when, when we get into the red zone and we throw to Devontae, where are we throwing it? It's usually not a little screen pass. Sometimes it is. Usually it's it's man coverage, so I'm going to give him a 50-50 shot in the end zone. And as you can see, it's about 50-50 that he catches a pass in the, in the red zone. Then as far as touchdown receptions, Jamal Williams is actually tied for 10th, but really it's third, right? So you got Kenny Galladay, who's number one with seven. You got a big pile of people that have six, and then Jamal Williams and a bunch of other people have five touchdown receptions. So he's kind of third technically. Well, technically 10th, but really third, right? You get what I'm saying. He's pretty high up there. Then the next highest would be three for Jimmy Graham, and then it just continues to fall from there. The biggest surprise, obviously, is Devontae. Even though he was injured, there's still a reasonable expectation that he would be higher than he is right now. Um, That isn't going quite as well as we are used to. But again, it is a new scheme, and we're finding success, and we're finding it in different ways, and I guess to some degree that's to be expected. And I think this is still kind of a work in progress, right? We're trying to marry what Matt LaFleur does and what the Packers have done for a long time. And I think one of the biggest evidences of that is Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, and specifically the run game, right? The slower developing outside zone stuff isn't happening as much as it did early in the season because it just wasn't working. Aaron Jones is a much better get north and south quick kind of person, as is Jamal Williams. And once the Packers started doing that, and they are, I told you that stat recently, at least I think I did, where they are two of the quickest backs in terms of getting north and south. On next-gen stats, you can go look at it. They are some of the fastest backs as far as not spending time behind the line of scrimmage. Matt LaFleur likes that, right? Sort of that slower developing outside zone stuff. It wasn't working. He decided to change the offense a bit to allow them to do what they do best. And, of course, he breaks it outside on occasion. But generally, the design is more inside now and it's having more success. So that's kind of an area. So now, like, how do we morph? Because a lot of it is built off the outside zone. So how do we continue to build my offense while not using a core component of my offense, which is the outside zone stuff? 
So it's still kind of a work in progress, and I'm guessing they're still going to continue to tweak these things and figure out, okay, how do we get Devontae more involved? How do we do this? Matt LaFleur has kind of proven to be able to find ways to do what it is we need to do. So we'll see. And, and that's, as I've said also, encouraging because the ceiling is much higher for this team. It's just a matter of trying to reach it. Um, as far as end zone targets, right before we're talking about red zone targets, so that's once we're inside the 20, what's going on? This is end zone target. So Jimmy Graham is actually quite high on this list. Aaron Rodgers likes to go to him. Jimmy Graham has seven targets, so he is tied for 10th. And again, it's one of those situations where he's not, you know. Kenny Galladay and DK Metcalf have 13. Mike Evans, 12. Auden Tate, 10. And then you got a huge pile of guys with eight. And then you got Jimmy and a few guys with seven. Jimmy, by the way, is tied with guys like Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, Austin Hooper. So he gets targeted a lot. The problem, though, let, let's look at some of these. Uh, Kenny Galladay, 13 targets, 4 touchdowns. DK Metcalf, 13-4. Mike Evans, 12-4. You got DJ Chark, 8 targets, 5 touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, 8 targets, 5 touchdowns. Adam Thielen, 8 targets, 4 touchdowns. Preston Williams, whoever that is, 8 targets, 3 Austin Hooper, seven targets, four touchdowns. Keenan Allen and Stephon Diggs, seven targets, two touchdowns. Jimmy Graham, seven targets, one touchdown. Come on, man. One touchdown on seven targets? It's just not working. Aaron Rodgers wants it to work bad. He wants a guy like Jimmy, but Jimmy just hasn't been the guy that we want him to be. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers wants so desperately to have this big, freakish, monster tight end that he can just launch it up to, and it's an automatic touchdown, and he's been trying. He has given Jimmy Graham seven opportunities, and I'm sure not all seven have been great for Jimmy. I'm sure there's been a couple bad passes, some that are never going to get caught. But for him to only convert one of seven is a little bit disappointing. Um, a few other stats I was able to pull up here. We've got statistics inside the 20 as well as inside the 10. Aaron Rodgers' completion percentage inside the 20-yard line is only 56.36. Inside the 10-yard line, 58.62. So as a comparison, Aaron Rodgers on 55 attempts has 211 yards, 11 touchdowns, 2 interceptions inside the 20-yard line. Russell Wilson on almost the exact same amount of attempts inside the 20 has 214 yards, just about the same, but 19 touchdowns. That's 8 more touchdowns and 1 less interception. Inside the 10-yard line... Um, again, very similar attempts. Aaron Rodgers, 29. Russell Wilson, 25. Aaron Rodgers is 58% completion percentage. Russell Wilson, 64. And I'm really just comparing and contrasting sort of the, the top guy here. Yards doesn't really matter because you're inside the 10. But Aaron Rodgers, with nearly identical attempts, has come away with seven touchdowns. Russell Wilson has 14. Now, this, this again, is not necessarily saying that so-and-so is better or worse. We're finding success on the ground, whereas Russell Wilson is basically 2011 Aaron Rodgers. Not saying as good, but it's just it's just all on Russell Wilson in the passing game. Throw, 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 throw. So it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just explaining what's going on. And what's going on is that the Packers are not utilizing the pass as as much and or as successfully. Because the, te- the attempts are still there, right? Attempts are attempts and you know, success is success. Wilson has 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. Rodgers has seven and one interception. So it's 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 twofold. It's explaining, but it's also kind of citing a bit of an issue. So for example, to, to elaborate inside the 10-yard line, he has seven touchdowns. There's four total quarterbacks, three other quarterbacks that have seven touchdowns in that range. Lamar Jackson has seven touchdowns, but on only 16 attempts, which is about half as many attempts, which is to say if we extrapolate that out, he's a little bit closer to Russell Wilson than he is Aaron Rodgers. 
Likewise, Carson Wentz also only has 16 attempts but has seven touchdowns, meaning he is also closer to Russell Wilson than he is Aaron Rodgers. The only other guy that has seven is Baker Mayfield. He also has 27 attempts, which is about Aaron Rodgers, but it's Baker Mayfield. So there, there is a lack of success inside the 10-yard line throwing the ball. Because again, these are attempts. These are times when Aaron Rodgers is trying to throw the ball. Now, maybe he's throwing a bunch of screen passes and they don't get in whatever, but still, when you're inside the 10-yard line and you're throwing the ball, the intention is going to be, how do we get a touchdown? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet there is never a time you're inside the 10 and you're saying, okay, let's try to get three yards here. No, no. Because even if we're throwing a screen, you're only 10 yards away. Let's see if we can... Come on now. So that is an area where the Packers can improve. Not that they're... They're struggling because they're converting a lot of these into touchdowns, but as far as throwing and having success converting throws into touchdowns, there's not that much success. And then um, sort of a broader look at things here, if we look at uh, red zone scoring percentage, which is, you know, the most important thing, when you get down into the red zone, how many times are you converting these into touchdowns? Number one in the NFL is the Tennessee Titans. 72% 72% of the time when they get down into the 20 down to the 20-yard line, they're scoring. Number two is the Buffalo Bills. Number three is the Green Bay Packers. 68.57% of the time when they get down into the red zone, they're getting touchdowns. Now, it gets a little bit better. The Packers have actually been improving. That's for the entire season of 2019. If you just look at the last three games, the Packers are tied for second with the San Francisco 49ers at 77.78%. Tennessee's number one with 100% of the time, which is crazy. So yes, uh, to directly answer the question, it seems as though the Packers are having success in the red zone. Absolutely they are. They're number three in the NFL for the season. They're number two over the last three weeks. A little further information, they're actually better on the road. Uh, Currently at home, their percentage is 65.22%. On the road, 75%. Not to say they're better on the road overall, but when they get down into the red zone, three out of four times they're getting a touchdown on the road. This compares to last year, they were at 61.7%. So this year, 68, last year, 61. And 61 was actually relatively high. I think the issue was just getting down there. And then looking finally, one last thing at the defense. Are the Packers top 10? Yes, they are. They are currently ranked 8th as far as red zone scoring defense. The bad news here is that the San Francisco 49ers are number 1. So the 49ers are very, very good at scoring when they get into the red zone, and they're the number one defense as far as not allowing teams to score when they get into the red zone. They only allow scores on 36.84%. The somewhat positive news here is that the second highest team is the Denver Broncos, who we've played. The number three team is the Dallas Cowboys, who we've played. The number six team is the Minnesota Vikings, who we've played. By the way, we beat all of those teams. So, And uh, the Green Bay Packers, as I said, 48.48 are eighth. Over the last three games, they've actually allowed less, 45.45, but they are 13th over the last three. So a lot of other teams have also tightened up a lot over the last three games. And again, for some weird reason, the Packers are better on the road than they are at home. At home, they allow teams to score 54.55% of the time. On the road, (laughs) the Green Bay Packers are the number one defense. So you're going to have the 49ers who allow, when they're at home, teams to score 33.33% of the time, and the Packers, when they're on the road, allowing teams to score 36.36% of the time. That's crazy. You know what else is crazy, by the way? The, the New England Patriots, do you know what their percentage is of times they've allowed teams to score when they're at home? Zero. 
zero times when the Patriots are playing at home has anyone ever scored in the red zone. Doesn't mean they've never scored, but when they get in the red zone, zero. That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, that's if you were to read into that, you could say that this is going to be a low-scoring game. The Packers do not allow a lot of... Now, the Packers allow a lot of big plays, so that's going to need to be nipped in the bud for sure. Because if you got the 49ers throwing 60-yard bombs for touchdowns and the Packers are saying, okay, we're going to try to do what we do, which is get inside the 20 and run it, and the 49ers are like, no, sorry, we don't allow that to happen. This is This is not going to be great for the Packers. But yeah, two of the best defenses as far as not allowing scores. The Packers on the road and the 49ers at home. Pretty wild, man. Justin, thanks for bringing that up. That was fun to look at. Anyways, let's take our final break and come back with a little bit of some, 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 some. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I, I kind of mentioned this before, but let's revisit it because um, the Packers being 8-2, and two, and, and let me just get this out of the way, by the way, for anybody listening that might um, have some objections to the fact that, well, they should only blah, blah, blah. Y- You could say that a team should be more or less wins based on certain... Every game is based on factors, you dummy. Well, if this had changed, you would only have six wins instead of eight wins. What 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 are you even saying when you say that? What 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 is the point of even bringing that? L- l- let me put it this way. There has never been a bad 8-2 and two team in the history of the universe, ever. Not in football. Never. Eight and two means you're a good football team. That's the end of the conversation. Bad football teams don't get to eight and two. Well, you had a bunch of close ones there. So what? Winning in a close match is part of the battle. That's That's a massive part of the battle of being a good or bad team. Being able to win in the fourth quarter, being able to win in close games, that is a factor in being a good team. So stop it. But anyways, this is the best Green Bay Packers team by record, not necessarily by PFF grade or anything like that, but by record since 2011. And obviously we can't catch that, at least until we get into the playoffs when we have the opportunity to surpass it. But we can't catch that regular season record because we already have two losses. But I thought it would be interesting to look at the differences 
Because in 2011, obviously fantastic team in the regular season. I constantly reference them when I talk about the Chiefs and how the Chiefs, until they fix that defense, are never going to be winning a Super Bowl, which I don't expect them to do, because that team was built by John Dorsey, who is now gone. Anyways, and less than until they fix that defense, it's not going to get better. But in some ways, the team that we're seeing now is better than... So obviously the offense is not as good. This was a ridiculous offense. Number one offense in points, number three in yards. 2011 Packers had one, two, three, four, five, six games. Out of 16, six games over 40. Over 40. One third of their games, basically. A little over a third. Over 40 points against the Saints, uh, against the Broncos, against the Chargers, against the Vikings, against the Raiders, and against the Lions in in Week 17. Over 40 points. They had an additional five games over 30 points, which is to say 11 out of 16 games were 30 points or more. They only had one game under 20, and that was the game they lost against the Chiefs. The offense just kind of... And that's the problem with these teams. Week one against the Giants, what happened? Did the Giants just just play? I mean, look, the Giants scored 37 points, that's a lot. But the Lions scored 41 and lost. The Giants earlier that year scored 35 and lost. The Chargers scored 38 and lost. The Saints scored 34 and lost. The point is, the Packers won because their offense outscored everybody, and in that game they only scored 20 points. It was the second lowest that they had scored all year, and they lost. The offense was much better, but the defense this year is better than the 2011 defense, and that kind of goes without saying. Now, if you look at the 2010 season, the year that the Packers won the Super Bowl, the difference would be the fact that the Packers' offense was 10th, but the defense was 2nd. And really, the the offense is pretty similar to what the 2019 offense is. And considering the Packers' offense is improving, I would venture a guess as to say that where the Packers end this season is similar to where the the 2010 Packers were in 2010. The biggest difference, though, is going to be the defense. Right now, the Packers' defense, or in 2010, the Packers' defense was second in points, fifth in yards. This year, the Packers' defense is 12th in points, 28th in yards. And as I've said, that 28th thing, the whole bend, don't break, don't count on that. Unless and until the Packers fix that 28th in yards, the Packers aren't going to be able to do anything. Because just like the offense one day isn't going to be able to overcome the the uh, defensive shortfalls, like what happened in 2011, there's going to come a time when the defense does break. In other words, all those yards are going to convert into touchdowns. That's going to happen, and we, we've seen that happen. So we can't count on that. They just have to get better. And, and again, the cumulative doesn't matter. If the Packers end up as the basically one of the worst defenses in football by week you know, 14, 15, but something clicks, and in seven, 16 and 17, they suddenly become a top-five defense, and then through the playoffs, they're a top-five defense, it doesn't matter what their, their cumulative was through the season. But the point that I'm trying to get across is that you had a good, not great offense and an elite defense that won us a Super Bowl. In 2007, you had a, or two, 2011, you had an elite offense, but a defense that completely fell off a cliff and lost it. I believe the offense is good enough, and it can continue to, continue to get better. I think the offense has the components it needs to win, to, to be Super Bowl caliber. They still have room to grow, but I, I don't. Th- I'm not looking at the offense saying either you get fixed or we're doomed. I'm looking at the defense and saying we've seen a good enough. De- you know, week one, week two, week three, whatever. We've seen a defense that is more than capable. We're looking at a top five, top three defense that lost its way, and it needs to be able to find that again. And it comes down to the individual components: a, a lack of consistency. 
Jair falling off the last two, three weeks. Preston Smith, I mean, again, the sacks were great, but overall play between, you know, between the plays where he had sacks, not super great. Two, two weeks in a row, not super great. Dean Lowry, one of his worst years ever. Blake Martinez, easily his first year, worst year ever. Adrian Amos, good, not as good as he was with the Bears. Darnell Savage, a lot better earlier, and since he's come back from, from injury, kind of fallen off a bit. We need to see that old Savage again. The talent is there, but it's got to come back because we're kind of already shifting into playoff mode, right? Granted, yeah, I'd love to have the number one seed. I'd love to win the division, all that stuff, bragging rights and better positioning in the playoffs and home field advantage, super important stuff. But at the end of the day, those things aren't going to matter if this isn't a a hardened and playoff-ready team. You can have home field advantage and get smoked in Lambeau and be one and done in the playoffs because you've got a defense that can't get it done going up against a a playoff-hardened team. So more important than anything, I think as we transition, and believe me, I want to win and I want all those things and I'm going to be disappointed in a loss and all that, the most important thing as we come out of this bye is to watch a team that is transformed. A team that is that is learning how to utilize the pieces, and maybe a lot of this is falling on Mike Pettin, trying to be more Mike McCarthy-esque, as I said before, in regard to saying, we're just better and we're going to play stronger. Whereas Vic Fangio was a guy that looked at it and said, I'm going to try to use the guys that I have and put them in positions to succeed. And I'm not saying that Mike Pettin is or isn't doing that. I'm just saying maybe that's the case. Whatever it is, as a coach... As a team, they got to figure out how to take these talented pieces, which, again, the individual pieces, I believe, are good enough to be a top-five defense. But they're playing like a bottom-ten defense at times. And, I'm not again, I'm not buying the bend-don't-break nonsense. It's great, and that was why the question was brought up. We looked at red zone defense. It's unbelievable. But expect the dam to break. You can't be 28th in yards allowed and expect to only be 12th in points allowed forever. Eventually, some of these teams are going to con- convert the touchdowns. It's also wearing out the defense when, when these long-sustained drives are allowed. You're keeping the offense off the field, which is not allowing them to rack up points and rack up yards and tire their defense. It's not a sustainable way to play football to be 28th in yards. Got to stop it. Jair has to play better. Kevin King has to play better. These guys need to be locked down. You can't be playing good for 75% of the time and then, then give up five big plays for 200 yards. Well, I was good the rest of the game. Doesn't matter. We're going to lose. And so I think coming out of the bye, that needs to be the focus, not just wins and losses, but is this team improving? And that's one of the the massive benefits of PFF is to be able to actually pinpoint, again, they're not a perfect grading system, they're not any of that stuff, but it's the best that we have available outside of going to Matt LaFleur and saying, hey man, can I peep your grades real quick? Of course that would be better, but this is the best we have, but it, it would be a way of tracking throughout the season and coming out of the bye who's performing better, who's starting to tighten up, right? Kenny Clark's starting to emerge. Hopefully that can continue. Zadarius has never taken his foot off the gas, right? The offense is emerging. Devontae's coming back. Rodgers is getting into a rhythm. Our running backs are really looking great. The offensive line is, is, is still very solid. Not perfect, but generally very solid. It's just about hardening. It's about forming an identity and holding to that identity and playing good, solid, consistent football for four quarters that's what needs to emerge out of this bye because if if, bottom line if I had to pick between a playoff hardened team that gets a wild card or a a wildly inconsistent team that has a first round bye give me the hardened team give me that team that's ready to fight and to grind and to play four quarters of Aaron Rodgers best of Zadarius's best of offensive and defensive 
grind. I'll take that grind, and we'll go to your stadium, and we'll smack you in the mouth, and we'll move on to the next stadium. We don't need to be at home to win. We need to be a playoff caliber team. And right now it's a little bit flux. Could not think of a word. We'll go with flux. And that really is the difference between good and bad. The teams that get knocked out of the playoffs are the teams that are white hot but inconsistent. Right, Baltimore Ravens, right? They were just crazy awesome, but crazy garbage at the same time. They got smacked around. Because it's when you go up against these hardened teams like the Patriots, you're done. You're done. You have to be. It's, it's consistency is more important than, than wildly talented in one aspect. We saw that when the Packers went against the Falcons. Not that the Falcons are, are overly elite in every phase of the game. But the Packers went up against the Falcons as a team that could throw up 50 points, but no defense whatsoever. And they just they, they it, it was it was over very quickly because it, it became first team to kick a field goal loses. Packers started kicking field goals and it was done because the defense had no ability to stop anything. And even if they had beaten the Falcons, they would not have gone on to beat the Patriots because the Patriots would have absolutely embarrassed them. The the playoffs are, are sort of a different. It's almost like a different game, and that's why I've been trying to give you that example of the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a kind of team, even though they're they're trending downward. But you know, at full strength, whatever, they're the kind of team that dominate the regular season but cannot pull it off in the, in the playoffs because you go up against hardened teams that really, and it's the old adage, defense wins championships. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Defense brings in a sort of stability. 2011 Packers were the exact opposite of stability. Really, really great over here. Really, really terrible over here. Score a lot of points. Score no points. Score, you know, it's just up and down in this giant roller coaster. You look at teams like the Patriots, they're steady. They, you know, sometimes there's 30 points, sometimes it's 27, sometimes it's 24, but they find ways to win. Sometimes it's offense, sometimes it's defense. It's slow, it's calm, it's cool, it's collected. Usually we're going to win by a decent margin. If we don't, we slowly develop this game plan. We stay in position. We get ready to strike. When the game gets into the fourth quarter, we slowly climb and claw, work our way back, get within three, score a touchdown, take the lead. Defense comes out. You know, you know what I'm saying. Then, then they shut them down. We win the game, and it, it it just felt calm and cool and collected. There was no panic. There was no wildness. There was no we're out of control. What are we gonna do? I'm freaking out, man. We got Aaron Rodgers. We need a hail mary, man. It's none of that. Because they're just it's it's just it's calm, cool, collected. We got it figured out. We know what we're doing. We've been here before. And I kind of feel like the Packers are that kind of a team. That's what I was talking about before, about how you end up being 8-2, and two, because you have an element of that. There's no panic, right? I mean, there is maybe a little bit, but when the game's on the line, what happens? Third down sacks, goal line stands. They've been consistently – those are playoff attributes, but there's still that negative component of just wild inconsistency, and that's what will kill you in the playoff, or just in, in big games in general. Are they good enough to beat the 49ers? Yes. Do they have bad enough stretches to where they can get absolutely smacked around and embarrassed by the 49ers? Absolutely yes. The Packers need to start getting into consistency mode, right? Not as concerned with beating bad teams 45-7 to anymore, more concerned with going up against quality teams and just playing good football, just sound tackling, right? The Packers are still terrible, especially the DBs. Not all of them. Amos is solid. Some of these guys are pretty good tacklers. But, I mean, some of this stuff is like, you watch it and you just say, that is not a Super Bowl caliber team. And I, I know it's it's hard to say Super Bowl caliber because Blake is playing soft. But it does matter. Because the Patriots aren't going to let you do that. If, if you're running through a hole and there's a linebacker staring at you, 
and you're playing the Patriots or you're playing the 49ers, or you're, well, I mean, you know, they got garbage linebackers too, but you're playing some of these better teams, you're going down, right? Cool, you got through the hole, you're getting, you're getting smoked, and you're probably going to get hit in the hole, and it's over. When you got Blake just kind of standing there and falling to his side trying to grab your leg and you slip through it and run for 15 more yards, that's a big problem. And it's that kind of stuff that I really want to see getting cleaned up or find a new solution. Put Ibrahim Campbell in there. I don't know what we got to do, but it's these little things that need to get cleaned up. It's a very, 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 very good team 90% of the time, but it's that 10% that is absolutely killing the team. That Vikings game, and granted we won, but that was the perfect example of what the Packers are, especially on defense. Right? Great play, great play, great play, great play. Boom, 70-yard touchdown. Like, What? And it was a lot close. I mean, the, the Packers dominated that game from for, for about four quarters, but it was real close because of big plays. So consistency is going to be the biggest thing coming out of this. And that's what we got to watch for, and that's what I'm going to be trying to keep my eye on. How are guys doing? Are, are people that have been struggling continuing? Is Kenny Clark continuing, or was that like a two-week flare-up where he had a couple good games and now he's going to regress again? He's, he's got to get the run defense better, by the way, also. I mean, the, the pass rush is what he's got better doing. He's a very good run defender who has not been very good against the run all year. I mean, it's, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that, that has to be better. We have to get better. And if they do, if you have Kenny Clark, who's suddenly better against the run, if you have Dean Lowry playing just an average season for him, Blake Martinez just going back to being what he has been for four years or however long we've had him, if these guys just play up to their potential, I don't see why this isn't a top-five defense with the best pass rush duo in football or one of. 49ers-Vikings might dispute that fine. Still one of. And Kenny Clark. And right through the line that I've gone through a thousand times. No reason whatsoever not to be a top five defense. And with guys like Tremont playing some of the best football in his career. With guys like Zadarius just absolutely ripping people's faces off. I mean, there's, there's no excuses for it. Guys just got to step up and, and, and just play. Not, not even better, just more consistent. Play at your best more regularly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond exciting because I never thought we'd be in this position. And we literally are at a position now where if guys can play more consistently on offense and defense, they're going to get into the playoffs and they have a very, very good chance of, of having a bye, having home field advantage, and a very good chance of, regardless of where they are, to be able to get into the Super Bowl and challenge the, the Patriots. Hopefully it's not the Patriots, man. Although I don't want it to be the Ravens either because I, I'm tired of watching guys like, you know, Lamar Jackson run all. I don't need another Colin Kaepernick situation where we, you know, how bad would it be if he breaks Colin Kaepernick's record, which was broken on the Packers? I don't need that in my life. Thank you very much. But anyways, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting stuff. And let's also just not, before we close here, let's not forget what situation we're in. None of this is supposed to happen. First year head coach, like this is not how it's supposed to go. So kind of regardless of how it ends, not conceding anything, not giving up on anything, obviously, but regardless of how this ends, this was a pretty magical kind of year. Quite incredible. So, anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.